All right. Shalom, everyone. Welcome to the Midnight Torah Study series of Parshat Ekev. I will shortly be joined by the Avenger Ish Pela, but wanted to give everyone a heads up on that. And in the meantime, we'll get started on some more insights. So, welcome and Baruch Hashem. Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Bakarbanu Mikol Hamim Venatan Lanu Et Torato Baruch Atah Adonai Noten HaTorah Amen Amen So, may Hashem attach and cleave us to the Lapid Mashiach Yeshua and may we merit to see the return of Mashiach Yeshua speedily and soon in our days. Amen. I want to start off with Dr. Sakal. He uh, is messaging me like it's totally fine to do with all this violence. And he is talking about Devarim 11.22, which says to love God your God and walk in all his ways and to cleave to him. And it says, God is called merciful. So too, you should be merciful. God is called gracious. As it says, God, merciful and gracious. Tehillim 145.8 So too, you should be gracious. The Sifri explains the commandment to walk in God's ways as an obligation to emulate the kind and just ways which the Torah attributes to God, such as patience and compassion. Our sages taught the word of God is like an accomplished act. See Rashi on Bereshit 15.18. So according to the above Sifri, it can be suggested that we are obligated to emulate this attribute as well by ensuring that our words will be effective and not remain empty rhetoric. To accomplish this, our sages have taught the following strategies. Rule 1. Words spoken from the heart enter into the heart. See Shelah 69a, i.e. be sincere. Rule 2. If one is filled with fear of Hashem, his words are heeded. And that's Barakot 6b. So if one is filled with the fear of Hashem, his words are heeded. Like they're paid attention to. And it says, if you actively live a God-fearing life, then not only will your words penetrate the hearts of your listeners, but your suggestions will actually be followed. Emulating God, your words too can be as easily done as they're said. All right, so Dr. Sakal, appreciate you very much. I am now going to phone in Ishpela. So everyone stand by, bringing them in. Please enjoy this music while your party waits. Alright, well, we're having some technical difficulties, so stand by. Shalom Aleichem. 
Hey, Alekum Shalom. Man, I was just wondering if you were going to be able to see this. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I thought I was going to have to reboot. But, oh. uh, All right. So we're already in the middle of recording, so I want to introduce the podcast to Ish Pela. So, um, Brukashem, well, I'm glad you could join us tonight, and uh, I have a timer set, so literally, uh, at the end of this hour of Torah study, we will have a buzzer go off, so go crazy until then. (laughs) All right, so uh, just to give you a heads up, I started off with something that Dr. Sakal actually sent about how we're to emulate Hashem. And to walk in his ways. So we've already been talking about compassion. We've been talking about kindness. We've been talking about fearing Hashem and things like that. So you are more than welcome to jump in wherever you would like. Okay. Uh, Okay. I do want to touch on something about the fear aspect. Um I do not have the source in front of me, so let me grab it. I know where it's at, though. So. Okay, okay. <laughs> Go get it. <laughs> so this comes from Orchot Zadikim. All right. The Ways of the Zadikim. Mm. And the introduction of this book talks about uh, the fear, and specifically the fear mentioned in this week's Torah portion. It says, Hashem to all men, as it is written, what does Hashem, your God, ask of you but to fear? And no deed is of much value without pure fear. Therefore, all men must be informed that anyone who wishes to attain worthy character traits must intermix fear of Hashem with each trait. Mm. For fear of Hashem is the common bond among all of the traits. This may be compared to a string which has been strung through the holes of pearls with a knot tied at its end to hold the pearls. There is no question that if the knot is cut, all the pearls will fall. It is the same with the fear of Hashem. It is the knot which secures all of the good traits. And if you remove it, all of the good traits will depart from you. And if you do not have good traits, you do not have Torah and mitzvot. For all of Torah hinges upon the perfections of one. Wow. <laughs> Get you some. Oh, my goodness. So just. That part that says that you do not have Torah and mitzvot if you don't have this. Can you repeat that part? I, I love that. Yeah, it says, uh, so this is from Ways of the Zadokim, page 17 in the introduction. It says, and if you do not have good traits, you do not have Torah and mitzvot. For all of Torah hinges upon the perfection of one traits. Good traits. Wow. So our character basically has to be refined. And, you know, what's so cool about that is uh, last night's... uh, session of midnight tour study we actually talked about having good character and refining ourselves so this is like really cool that we're flowing right back into that yeah i mean it's the uh i mean it's like we say every morning you know the beginning of wisdom is the fear of hashem and a good understanding to its practitioners Amen. so you know just if if you kind of think about the beautiful picture that this echo is, it's like Hashem is really wanting us to know, like, where are you? What, what's your character? You know, as you are 
in service to me as like basically a shim like if you're as we're in service to a shim as we're observing and walking in the mitzvot as we're following the mashiach are we refining ourselves you know that's a that's a really really uh big i feel like that's a really big point that Hashem is making for us especially in this week's Torah portion so um, and so to tag on to that because I agree I, I'm going to reiterate this I talked about this previously but chapter 10 verse 12 in the Kehot Humash I like to call it the Kehot Humash um, basically it's talking about the Talmudic sages they're saying that is the fear of heaven such a small matter? And they answer, yes, for Moshe, it is a small matter. And that's Barakot 33b. And basically, they're going into this whole um, insight talking about how for the fear of heaven, it takes us having a spark of Moshe in order for that to be a small matter. In other words, not small as is it insignificant, but like it becomes who we are. It becomes a part of our character, becomes a part of our, um, our living, moving and breathing in Hashem. And so I was talking about how that sets a beautiful precedent for the the spirit of Mashiach, which is the Torah, which is the the Ruach Hakodesh, you know, like that's a beautiful precedent for if it if that's the case with Moshe, then how much more so with Yeshua, you know, because he comes from Hashem, and so it's like if he is in us and we are in him, you know, like fearing Hashem, I mean that that's almost like becoming second nature to us. But when you think about that, it can't, it, I'm not necessarily saying it can't, but it's something that, you know, is beautiful because if you think about our process of sanctification, you know, we talk about how it's Baruch Atad Onai Eloheinu Menachalam Asher Kidshanu Be'mitzvotav. Like, blessed are you Adonai, our God, King of the Universe, who sanctifies us. And it's like, it's, it, evokes this picture of a process you know to like every day every week every month every year you know we're making these circles every, every festival every Ooh. Yeah. yeah and so i was like i'm really like loving that and just trying to eat that up literally eat those words because it's like how beautiful is it that we get to grow into our salvation? We get to grow into our redemption. You know, just like the redemption happens like sunrise, so is it with us following Hashem and like really embracing and grabbing a hold of His Torah. Is that it's a process? We have we working out our salvation with fear and trembling, so to speak. This is uh, the beginning of it. You know, I kind of want to touch back on where we say every morning, you know, the beginning of wisdom, fear about the eye, good understanding to all the practice. It literally is fear. Fear of Hashem is literally the beginning of mm. of your Torah keeping path. So if if you call yourself a, a God fear, so to speak, I, I believe I'm under the opinion is meant by that. 
Yes. Whenever somebody is, is, is called a person who feared God, he kept Torah. So, you know, that's, right. that's the that's the pattern that we see here. And I think that's why it's written so many times, you know, such as when we read it in the morning in the Psalms and in the Proverbs. Absolutely. I'm reading, I'm reading Baha Torah on commentary on 11, mm-hmm. which kind of a quick swerve. This verse here says, says, Arise, go on the journey before the people. Let them come and possess the land that I swore to their forefathers to give to them. We know from this verse that there is the resurrection of the dead, as will come about. Because what? Hashem, is saying, Hashem is saying, I swore to their forefathers to give it to them. Oh my yeah. goodness. Wow. But the other the other part of that is this, this is what the Baha Torah says upon that. But I swore to your forefathers to give to them. If juxtaposed to this, is now, O Israel, what does Hashem your God ask of you only to fear? In verse 12, this is to indicate to you that the patriarchs were God-fearing people. Ooh. The Torah describes four people as God-fearing. Abraham, about whom an angel testified, now I know that you are a God-fearing man. Give me a second. It's all right. Joseph, who said, I fear God, Genesis 22, or 42, 18. Yochavet and Miriam, or Shifra and Pua. Same per- same people about whom the Torah states, but the midwives feared God, Exodus one seventeen. However, we do not find any explicit statement regarding Yitzhak or Yaakov with respect to fear of God. Lest one think, heaven forbid, that they were lacking in that trait. The Baham Torah finds an allusion in our verse that teaches us about their fear of God. <laughs> and I can also I can also ask uh, add um, Obadiah or Ovadia. It also is written about him that he was a, he was a God fearer. Get you some. We know he was a convert. So. Absolutely. And, you know, think about where he converted from. He was from the house of Aesop. Yes. I.e., he's a, a picture of what it's like to come out of Rome, to come out of Christianity and into Torah. So, you know, if one ever thinks, oh, well, I, I go to church and I uh, follow, you know, the, the quote unquote J.E.S.U.S., the c-h-r-i-s-t like i follow that guy and it's just kind of like that's great so why don't you go ahead and convert and um start fearing hashem and walking in mitzvot because that's what you're supposed to do you know you enter into covenant so um i i i love the backstory on that because i mean it's just it's kind of weird, you know, it's like, well, yeah, I love God and I read the Bible. And it's just like, but are you Jewish? Are you in covenant? And it's like, no. It's just like, well, let's let's work on that, <laughs> you know. But the last little uh, statement on this Hasidic insight here, I love these words. It says, contemplate and meditate upon God's unlimited eminence and transcendence and and thereby awaken ourselves to a profound awareness of his presence even though we may not be able to sustain this awareness constantly the depth of its impression upon those of us who indeed contemplate it profoundly makes it relatively simple to reawaken this awareness at any time. So never at any point do we need to feel guilty for not constantly staying at a level, you know, and 
and when we get off track or if we get distracted, it's like because we've gone there, there's an impression. And so when it talks about reawakening this awareness, that would be the definition of teshuva, which is why we always come back to teshuva. You, we have to make teshuva at every moment. You know, and part of why I have, with the help of Hashem, started doing these midnight Torah posts is because this is part of the teshuva that I'm I'm really wanting to make to where, you know, I give myself to Hashem, like take over my schedule, you know, um, interrupt my sleeping, you know, and just I need you. I, I really want to you know, deepen my my devotion. I want to deepen my understanding and my relationship with Hashem. And so I just I just love that little insight. Yeah, it's beautiful. Uh, yeah, because if I mean, like you were saying, you, you get so caught up in the uh, day to day, the mundane, even though you're keeping mitzvot, it's easy to get get the lines blurred, so to speak. Right. To where kind of you kind of just, you know, you need to you need to re uh, invigorate yourself or get get inspired by by Torah teaching or something you read and blown and amazed by the compassion of Hashem and his infinite mercy and infinite wisdom. Amen. Um so if I could swerve real quick to a new point. Um it's kind of a couple of things I I really am like losing my mind about as far as like what crazy amazing insights are going on. But I want to do another Dr. Sakal again because I literally told him I'm calling the police when he shared this with me. Oh, uh, if it's what I think you're about to share, um, yeah, please share it. <laughs> okay, because this is about that manna. Yep. <laughs> okay, so I'm minding my own business. My alarm goes off. You know, Modeani, Shema Hashem, you know, and all that's going on, right? Trying to be all spiritual, all holy. It is 6.30 in the morning, and all I see is tag, <laughs> Devarim 8.16, who fed you with manna in the desert, which your ancestors did not know, in order to afflict you. And so it's like, okay, so that's the verse. And it says, Talmud, Yoma 74b, interprets this verse quite literally saying the manna was a food that left you feeling hungry and afflicted. So that was the first karate chop. And it's just like, okay, so that was the first sentence. <laughs> so the manna is a food that left you feeling hungry and afflicted. But it was just like, no, the manna can taste like whatever you want it to taste like. And this will sustain you. So I'm already in my head thinking, okay, daily bread, you know, trusting Hashem for his provision, worry about today, tomorrow has enough worries of its own. And it's just like, but oh no, <laughs> this is a different kind of daily bread. <laughs> and it says, according to one explanation in the Talmud, this was because it could not be saved from one day to the next. And one had to constantly rely on it falling anew the next day. Therefore, even after filling themselves on manna, the people still felt vulnerable. So 
I'm going to go down a little bit, and it says that the Talmud statement in Better Coat 48b says that Moshe composed the text of the first blessing of the Birkat Hamazon when B'nai Yisrael were given the manna. The blessings of the Birkat Hamazon are recited in the fulfillment of the biblical command. See, this is why we pray after we eat. Because Devarim 8.10 says, When you will eat and be satisfied, you shall bless Hashem, your God. It says, Now, if the manna left people feeling hungry, how could eating the manna be the basis for a blessing that is recited upon feeling satisfied? Okay, so here's the answer. In light of the above, however, we can understand how the manna provided the satisfaction required for the recitation of the Birkah Hamazon. For the truest satiation came from the manna, in which one sensed clearly that his sustenance came from Hashem, and through which he became a worthy recipient of God's infinite benevolence. And that is the Torah Menachem from Sefer Hama'amarim. So you think of the the amazing dichotomy and the beauty of that is like something which is given to you for nourishment and sustenance actually leaves you feeling vulnerable. It's actually like eating and partaking of affliction and, and daily uh, relying and depending upon a shim, and it's just like because of that, you are completely taken care of, and this is worthy of saying the Birkat Hamazon. And you think about the first blessing of the Birkat Hamazon, it's just like you nourish us, you sustain us, and uh, thank you for your loving kindness, Hashem. And it's just like so rejoice in suffering. Is that what I'm hearing? And then not only that, but man does not live by bread alone, but off every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the father. And then this is our daily sacrifice, our service. And it's just like that right there is what true satiation is. So if I can tag on that. Yes. Because during the weekday, there's a different song that we recite for the Birkai Hamazon. Get you some. Tehillim 137 by the rivers of Babylon. There we sat and wept. Mm-hmm. So this is from uh, uh, Publications 283B. It says, After a meal, when we dine and delight in the food we eat, we should recall the holiness of the land of Israel and the destruction of God's temple. Oh. In the merit of recalling this sadness in the midst of our joy, God considers it as if we had built his and rectified every desolation it has ever experienced. Zohar 1, 157b. Good the table on which we dine is symbolic of the altar in the temple. Due to our sins, the, old, the altar is no longer, and we are left with a substitute our dining table. Mm. This mealtime is a proper occasion to reflect on the loss of our temple and to pray for its restoration. We therefore recite this psalm before grace after meals on weekdays, appropriate time to recall the destruction. And it says this custom became or developed because the last verse of the last psalm preceding this psalm 137, so the end of 136 who gives food to all flesh for his kindness endures forever. Man, you, you think about the <laughs> level of just like, I mean, I don't even know what to call that. You know, it's just like 
for the Birkat Hamazon to be instituted and for that to be the reality and the circumstances for thanksgiving and, and praises and blessing to Hashem. I mean, that is out of this world. So to tag and agree on that, um, I was listening to the daily Humash studies with Rabbi Gordon. And he was going through talking about the review of the breaking of the tablets, the Lukot. And he was doing all this in the mix of talking about how the tablets were destroyed so that the children of Israel would not be destroyed. Because Hashem was like, that's it. They're dancing around a golden calf. They couldn't wait 40 days. I spoke to them from the mountain and you were coming up the mountain to receive the Torah and bring it to them. And by default, they were going to be free from death, free from sin, filled with the Ruach HaKodesh. They were going to know all of the Torah written in oral, all in one. And yet in the middle of this happening, they, they create a golden calf and Moshe comes down the mountain, and when he sees B'nai Yisrael dancing around the calf, he shatters the tablets. And then Rabbi Gordon keeps going, and he talks about later on, uh, the Humash points out that Hashem was grateful to Moshe that the tablets were shattered. He thanked Moshe that he shattered the tablets because... Had he not shattered the tablets, he would have had to destroy all of Israel and start over with Moshe. So I'm thinking to myself, like, okay, but the precedent of destruction so that B'nai Israel wouldn't be destroyed is the temple. You know, namely both temples being destroyed for the sake of saving and preserving Israel. And so now when we look at this. In this Torah portion, the tablets are done to are destroyed to save and preserve Israel. So, if you do deductive reasoning on that, the tablets not only represent the Torah, but they represent the temple. And that means, with all the insight we've been looking at, with the tablets being the height of a Jewish man with the tablets being cubed so they look like a, a tall house or a, a what did they call a tiny house so you have this man-sized house basically that is destroyed for the sake of preserving Israel and then I think about Mashiach Yeshua's words when he says tear down this temple and I will rebuild it in three days and then when he says something greater than the temple is here and remember the Luke coat, the sapphire tablets were outside of creation or taken directly from the throne of Hashem and they are the front runners to the Beit HaMikdash. So like this literal embodiment of who Yeshua is, we get to see just from that insight alone that he is the sapphire tablets and when his body was broken for us when his body was shattered for us not only was it to preserve us 
and keep from keep us from being destroyed, but it was also to renew us and to make us into his likeness. Because when Hashem says, Moshe, I'm going to start over with you, that was actually fulfilled and attained in Yeshua HaMashiach, which is why us being conformed to his likeness, us being mikfud with the same death and resurrection as Mashiach Yeshua, and for him not being ashamed to call us brothers and all these different verses like you get to start to see that picture uh, just taught from this this Torah portion. So I just wanted to throw a whole bunch of stuff when I was just putting all that together and thinking through that because I'm like, what in the world, Hashem? Like, so you're saying you're saying what Hashem told Moshe, that's like that I'll start a new nation from you is being fulfilled through Yeshua? Yes, sir. Wow. Because, you know, think about this. Because, you know, it's like Hashem promised our forefathers that their descendants would inherit the land. And Hashem is always going to make good on his promises. You can know that, believe that, and trust that. So if you think about being born again through Yeshua HaMashiach, okay, so... Abraham, all the patriarchs came from Yeshua, you know, and so it's just like if we're all born anew in Mashiach Yeshua, then by default, the descendants of the patriarchs would inherit the land because Yeshua is going to take us into the land. So it's like almost this reach back and like supersede, you know, like the context here, like order of Melchizedek type understanding that if we're all made new into the one new man like there's no greek there's no gentile there's no male no female no slave no servant you know all are in mashiach then hashem ultimately fulfills and also transcends his promise that was made to the patriarchs so selah <laughs> selah amen all right, what else you got? Uh, I'm just kind of going back through here. You were talking about the blessings of the uh, of the patriarchs. Yeah. So, verse seven, thirteen. It says, "He will love you, and he will bless you, and he will multiply you. He will bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your land, your grain, your wine, and your oil, the offspring of your cattle, and the flocks of your sheep and goats, from the land that he swore to your forefathers to give you." So, to preface preface it, I, I should say. There on the verse 12 where it says, we'll safeguard for you. Yes. Shomar, the Shamar. Mm-hmm. The gematria of this word, 546, is equivalent to that for the time to come, i.e. in the future. The Olam Haba. you talking resurrection. Wow. The Ahavecha, he will love you. And the merit of Abraham regarding whom it is said, Zerah Abraham. Ahavi, the seed of Abraham who loves me. Isaiah 41 8. What? And he will bless you. And the merit of Yitzhak, regarding whom it is said, Elohim et Yitzhak. God bless Yitzhak. Genesis 25 11. Mm, mm, mm. And he will multiply you. In the marriage of Yaakov, regarding whom it is said, Peru, be fruitful and multiply, Genesis 35, 11. 
Get you some. <laughs> so each corresponds to the, so he will love you and he will bless you and he will multiply you. Correspond to Abraham, Isaac, and Yaakov. Okay, Ishpela, you need to get some help. That was uncalled for. Because <laughs> if you think about what you just said, being the seed of Abraham. Okay, so basically, if we are believers in the Messiah, we're called sons of Abraham. And so we are already like grafted into this verse. And it's just kind of like that's my mind is blown right now. So I'm not I'm just speechless. I don't even know what to say about that. <laughs> like, wow. All I know is uh, I'm glad that's recorded because I will be replaying that back. That's <laughs> such an epic insight. Oh, my word. Alright, so I want to go back to the first verse of this week's Torah portion, and I want to talk about the first word, or it's not the first word, but one of the first word. Yes, um, the word Ekev. Now, I had to pull out G. Shekel here, oh, snap. and I just want to shout him out that, um, you know, it's... Sometimes it's hit or miss on, like, are we going to get to uh, glean from his uh, commentary on the parasha? And um, I have to just, I just want to shout him out and say that, you know what? You have really been doing your thing on uh, these elucidations and drops. And so I'm really proud of our brother. I know he is a Lapide, even though he's all the way across the world on the other side. And um, I haven't even met him, but uh, he, he really brings down some beautiful uh, information this week. And so I have been going through this, what he's been sharing from sources and things like that. And I went straight to his notes section where he just throws all of his research and studies like in this section called notes and just lets it fly. And. I get to the word where he's talking about the heel, talking about Akev, because Akev in this week's Torah portion is actually translated to, uh, and it shall come to pass. But it's like, that's not really what that means. He says from his research here, for the conjunction, because the Torah uses the expression Akev, which when used as a noun, means heel, the part of the foot used in walking. This is to teach us that whenever a person takes a step, literally or figuratively, he must first reflect whether it would be in accordance with the will of Hashem. And then it says, and if he should find that it is not, he must desist. So right off the bat, before even going further, I'm like, we have to think about what our heel is doing. Are we fulfilling the will of Hashem or are we not? And if we are not fulfilling the will of Hashem, then our heel needs to literally turn and start to walk in the will of Hashem, which again, that would be another definition of teshuva. And so... From there, it's just kind of like, okay, so use this heel to walk out, reflect whether this is in accordance with the will of Hashem. So he goes right into the words of Mashiach, Yochanan 638. 
For I have come down from Hashemayim to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. Now, if you think about the epicness of that statement of the Messiah, there is no way that Christianity could exist. Because by default, Mashiach teaches us to follow in the footsteps, to follow the will of God, which when it comes to Torah, when it comes to the Bible, the original word of God, the word was God, the word was with God and the word that became flesh. All of that, the will of Hashem is taught in that context as the Torah. And so you, you think about following in, in that and it's just like, yes, our, our footsteps should be the will of God, which is Torah and not our own will. So if at any point we're thinking that, you know, I feel or I think and this is what I'm going to do, if it doesn't line up with Hashem, then our heel needs to not go there. So wanted to say that. Did you have anything real quick before I keep moving? Yeah, yes, yeah, just to tag a couple, couple things on Ekev. Ekev is actually... Um, is the reason why Yaakov's name is Yaakov because if you add a yud to this this word, it spells out Yaakov. Ooh. Um, and we we know that he was clutching to the heel of Esau. Um, yes, sir. In his birth, just to kind of add that um, this word in the Baha Torah is add is uh, actually translated the end will be. Ooh. So Baal Torah's commentary says this. It says, just before this, i.e. at the end of the previous parasha, the Torah stated, Hayom le asotam, the day to perform them, 7-11. Wow. And juxtaposed to that is Ekev, as to say, as if to say, today, to perform them, but the reward will, will come at the end, i.e. in the world to come. This this whole parasha is kind of a... It's just, just looking at, at the beginnings of it and kind of what Hashem, or Moshe is telling us, or Hashem is telling us through Moshe, I should say, that, you know, it's all about, it's all, there's, a, there's an end game here. There's there's a world beyond this world that, that we're all going to arrive is right to Hashem. Amen. Can you hear that song? Can you hear that song? And it's just... This was amazing to me because, I mean, how could you not think that there's there's not going to be something more than this? You, you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, it's a hopeless just, place. Yeah. I mean, the more I study Torah and the more, I, the more I study the word of Hashem, period, I mean, it's pretty clear, clear cut that promises are fulfilled. He keeps his promises and he means what he says. Amen. Yeah, you know, is uh oh, go ahead, go ahead. The other thing I was gonna add is this: this is the end. It says the this is a, an allusion from the Mishnah. It says that you can rearrange this word to mean permanent or fixed if you rearrange the letters of this word. Ekev. What? That's our verse alludes to the Mishnah's injunction. It says make your Torah a fixed point in your life. And then the other, the final thing, and I'll kind of just throw it back to you says the hill learn learn humility from this hill that walks behind the foot in a humble way and therefore is not stubbed as are the toes Ooh. and then the footnote says the end of humility 
is reverence for Hashem, Proverbs 22, 4. Did you really just say the footnote about the heel? Really? Yeah, the footnote about the heel. Yeah. <sighs> wow. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> but it says, explain in a novel matter, the phrase means the heel is the paradigm of humility. Mm-mm-mm. Because um, just to touch on the, the trait of humility, humility is a is very, very... Uh, it's actually Orhod Zadakim kind of kind of goes into humility and what how valuable it is and that is basically the root of divine service. That this is the way you should serve Sim. You know, uh, Michael says, "Walk humbly before your God." Amen. Just anyways, I'll throw I'll throw it back over to you. All right. Well, I definitely tag and agree on that because when you look at what you said about rearranging Ekev. And it becomes the word for make a fixed point uh, of the Torah. Well, if we jump over to Hebrews chapter 12, it's interesting that this verse, uh, let's see here, it's verse 2, says, looking away to the initiator and the completer of that trusting, which is Yeshua, and some translations say, fix and focus your eyes upon the author and perfecter. And so if you think about really Ekev, it really is teaching us that we need to fix our focus on the Mashiach. So going from there back into the Kehert Humash Hasidic Insights on Ekev, one of the other elucidations, especially from the Or HaTorah, says, In the era immediately preceding the advent of the Mashiach, i.e., when we hear the footsteps of the Mashiach, the Jewish people will return fully to God. According to this interpretation, the verse would be read, In the footstep era, you will heed. And, um... I was thinking about all that and the significance of the time frame that we're currently in with what's going on, especially in Eretz Israel and the timing of the, the calendar that we're in. We're just after the original wedding date between Hashem and the Jewish people of Tuba'av and heading into the 40 days of Teshuva and heading into Rosh Hashanah and the resurrection season. And it's just kind of like, what an incredible opportunity we really have to experience the return of Mashiach Yeshua. And with that being the circumstance that causes the fulfillment of the Jewish people returning, that everyone, all Israel being saved, which is a point to the fact that there are more pros there are almost more proselytes than there are native-born Israel right now, which is kind of like a crazy, astounding point, according to some contemporary rabbis. Or you can, you know, the way, the way I've heard a rabbi put it is that you don't know who's who's a Jew and who's not a Jew anymore. He's like, there's a Jew, but if you go back a couple of generations, someone in his family converted, or maybe he's a convert. Right. The person that, that thought their, their family was a Jew or that wasn't a Jew, is actually a Jew, and, is, and he's not following the mitzvah. So 
Yeah, and uh, to go with that, one of our other Avengers, uh, Akav, which, you know, this week's tour portion being Akev, you know, his name is Akav. And so he goes, yeah, because, you know, the thing about the distinguishing feature, what automatically gives a person away that they are not a Jew is if they have no oral Torah. So yeah. you see, so uh, oh, yeah. go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. No, uh, just, just, you know, I'm was helping Halal, his uh, AC went out. So we went to go pick up a part in, in Dallas and go fix it. We stopped at a store and these, I'm not sure what they were, I'm not sure what they believed. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't, I really don't even know, but they stopped us and asked us, hey, are, the first question I asked was, is like, hey, are you Mexican? It's like, oh, wow. <laughs> practice judaism uh yeah how did you know <laughs> and then and then he proceeded to tell me that the way i'm wearing my seat seats were wrong and that they were the ways of amalek and oh my word yeah to which halal jumped in and, and said punched him right in the mouth he said i'm kidding i'm kidding but he he, he webbed them up and they are probably well but they were they were basically saying that to, to get a gist of what they were saying. I'm not trying to waste any time on, on what they were saying because really it was a good thing. But right, yeah, uh, they were trying to make Judaism into a blood cult. They were saying you know that only only one race that the that the Bible talks about a bloodline and and oh, if, only if you're part of that bloodline are you in are does, is it talking about you and does it refer to you? Uh, needless to say, he says all that. And we're telling him that no, you can convert into Judaism. That's the other way you get into Judaism. You don't have to be. It's not. A, it's a. It's an open invitation. But you have to be willing to to fulfill the covenantal roles or the covenantal relationship with with the one true God of Israel. Cool. And Hillel says, he just simply asked him. He's like, "Do you rap tefillin?" The man's response was, "What is tefillin?" Oh. And oh, so we said, word. "Shalom, have a good day," and went about it because. If you don't know what the feeling are, I'm sorry. You just you just don't know what order. Good night. You probably should have said phylacteries, but never mind. It's all Greek to me anyway. Um. So, <laughs> so first of all, just in the little flow of that dialogue, is not the Torah called blood? So if Judaism is a bloodline, you know, like if you're in the Torah, if you've been mikvahed in the word of Hashem, which Hashem himself is a mikvah, the Torah is Hashem written down, his essence. So if Judaism is a bloodline, that bloodline is the Torah. Not only that, but we've been sprinkled with the blood of Mashiach Yeshua, and therefore his blood becomes our blood. And you have to think about where did the nation of Israel get their lineage from? Who was the front runner? Mashiach Yeshua. He's the firstborn of all creation. So therefore, if there is any Jew, then they automatically are in the lineage of Mashiach Yeshua because that's all of Israel. We've all been brought in through Messiah Yeshua. And not to mention that the first and final letter spelled out the word Lev. So. Ooh. Oh, snap. All right. So anyway, so you get into all that. <clears throat> now, bringing it back around over here to some more G Shekel, it says, uh, talking about the hill that says, for from it we understand Bereshit uh, 35, 
3.15, talking about the enmity between the serpent and the woman. It says, the offspring, between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his uh, kev, his heel. From this, we understand that the enemy would attempt to strike at the heel of Mashiach. And our Mashiach would crush the enemy's head and destroy the works of the devil. First Yochanan 3.8 says those who do what is sinful, i.e. those who break Torah, those who don't observe mitzvot. He says that those who do that, they are of the devil, which means they get their head crushed by the heel of Yeshua. Then it says because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. So. Being in Mashiach Yeshua, being in the heel and fixing and focus our, our emunah up on this, this destroys lawlessness. And this is the reason Mashiach appeared was to destroy that. So there is that. And um, later on, he goes into the serpent versus the serpent and is talking about that Yaakov is also a serpent and it says that asav is also a serpent it says that asav actually represents the samic lamed i.e hasatan and then yaakov is called the holy serpent and so it says these two forces are meant to stand against each other as it is written and god created taninim Two great serpents, Bereshit 1.21, which refers to Yaakov and Asaph and every creature that moves, which refers to the levels between them. It is written, and in the wilderness you have seen how that Hashem, your God, bears you as a man does bear his son and the way he went until you came to this place. Devarim 1.31. And we are about out of time, so I'm going to go past the buzzer to kind of wrap this point up because you can't just stop in the middle of this. <laughs> but um, he keeps going and keeps going. Okay, so that was the alarm. All right, Brukashim. Okay, so stand by, everybody. It says that, um, okay, so if we keep with Bereshit 3.15, it says that is to say Yisrael first which is Berosh, bruised his head. But because later they knew not how to guard themselves against him, he finally, he finally smote them. So if you think about the, uh, the rebellions and being in the wilderness, being in exile, that is the serpent biting our heel. And so Mashiach, when he appears, is to take away that snake bite by his holy snake bite, which would be his death and triumph on the crucifixion stake and resurrection. And that is ultimately crushing the head, pulling us out of slavery, sin and death and lawlessness. And this was uh, typed in Yaakov triumphing over Asaph, gaining the birthright, uh, being covered in the, in the garments of Asaph, but having the voice of Yaakov and all that, right? So it's Damn. oh my goodness. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> and then it says that uh so 
And they fell dead in the wilderness. And then the other half of the verse was fulfilled. And you, i.e. the serpent, shall bruise his heel. So that happened all there. And then it says, da, 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 da. Torah, it says, besides the words of Torah can best sink into the soul in the desert. For there is no light except that which issues from darkness. For when that other side is subdued by the Holy One, is exalted in glory. In fact, there can be no true worship except if it issues forth from darkness. No true good except if it proceeds from evil. And when a man enters upon an evil way and then forsakes it, the Holy One, blessed is he, is exalted in glory. Hence, Perfection of all things is attained when good and evil are first of all commingled and then become all good. Okay, I'm just going to stop right there because if you just think about the principle and the concept of that, with Mashiach being covered in Rome, like evil and good commingled, it's going to become all good and all is going to be perfected because. HaKadosh Baruch Hu will triumph over all of that. Light will come forth from the darkness. Righteousness will come from all of the exile that we've been going through and us returning to Hashem, forsaking evil and, and coming back. I mean, that's the ultimate triumph. So there, that's where I'm going to leave it because he just, I, I don't. Okay, so just to source that out, that's Zohar Shemot. 183b through 184a man can i can i tag on that can i just like say because you started talking about the birthrights and like how yaakov stole the birthright that is like yeshua yeshua hamashiach like that is fiction state defeating death like that's it it took that right away and you talk you talk about uh the good being mixed with the uh with the evil Yep. I mean, it was counted among among the thieves. Uh, Boy, it was counted with the wicked ones. Wow. And and just and just to to, 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 to add to summarize, kind of kind of what I felt was a download from Shemaim just now. So with Yaakov, so it will be with or so it will be with Yeshua. We have another precedent of Yaakov receiving the blessing from Yitzhak, receiving the blessing from Yitzhak. Going into exile, so to speak, and then coming, returning back. Yes. We have another president there for why Mashiach had to go away and then he will return. And then he will return based on the precedents we see throughout the Torah. Just just being one of the many. I just, I don't know, I guess I just never saw it with Yaakov. I always kind of saw it with Yosef, but Yaakov, Yosef, and then you got that whole thing. So why, yeah, you know, why not? So... <laughs> Ish pay la. Are you serious, bro? Wow. <laughs> Man. Well, I appreciate you uh, tagging in and sharing that violent information. <sighs> well, we have went way past time and I'm totally fine with that. But uh, for now, we must conclude uh, this uh, session of Torah portion. So... Uh, Ish Pela, thank you for joining us, and um, I'm going to now say the closing bracha. So before I do that, anything else you would like to share, or anything else you would like to say? No, we could do the closing bracha. That was amazing. Thank right. you. 
Babakasha. So, Baruch Hashem, what do we know? What do we know? Baruch Atah Adonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Natan Lanu Torah Temet, Vekaye Olam Natabet Okeinu, Baruch Atah Adonai, Noten HaTorah, Amen. May we merit to see the return of Mashiach Yeshua speedily and soon in our days. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, Shalom Ishpela, Shalom Podcast. We will look forward to seeing you next time with the help of Hashem. Blessings and Shavuot Tov.